Well, good morning, Westridge. Happy Labor Day. So, as Greg alluded to, uh, I'm starting a new series, two-part series. Uh, today, what other church can you go to and have a new series being kicked off on Labor Day weekend, huh? What other church? Uh, and uh, I'll be finishing up next week. Next week's not a holiday weekend, but I will be back nonetheless. And I want you to know, if you're not, I'll not forgive you. Just be up front here. Turns out, the line to get into the class entitled Learning to Forgive is a short one. It's a short one because you learn to forgive by getting hurt. I read an article in which the author stated that you can only exercise and sustain personal leadership to the extent that you can bear pain. Don't rush into leadership. Virtually every newspaper in the Western world told the story of how one January dawn, 1984, then Pope John Paul walked into a dark cell to meet the man who had tried to kill him. The Pope took the hand of the man who had fired a bullet at his heart and forgave him. But the Pope, many of us might assume, is a professional forgiver. That's his job. And it may be easy for such highly placed professionals to forgive when he knows ahead of time that the whole world will be watching. Then it's easy. But i got to confess to you as I start this series, I'm not a professional forgiver. I'm an Italian. Thank you. Today we settle all family business. If he should hang himself in a jail cell, that I do not forgive. I'll be at the Ramadi on Thursday. Come on by. Great chicken and livers. (laughs) I'm a rank amateur when it comes to forgiveness. Maybe you are too. I haven't met too many pros. Forgiveness, like many other jobs, is not learned in academic or artificial environments. It's strictly on-the-job training. And it doesn't matter whether you're a brain surgeon or a butcher. You learn the same way with the same pain. And so for me, forgiving is love's toughest work and biggest risk. And most of us have been in the crisis of forgiveness at one time or another. And so I think forgiveness is at the heart of the matter for several reasons. The first one I'll mention is this, and that is that everyone has been unfairly hurt by another. Now, you're saying to yourself, don't forget I can read your minds. You're saying to yourself, I drug myself out on this holiday weekend to hear this simplistic platitude. Everyone has been unfairly hurt. Yes, you did. But the implication of that, when I think back through my hurts and pains, is I'm nothing special. See, we tend to think our unfair wrongs are something special. They're unique. I'm the only one. No, sorry. You're not. Everyone's gone through that. And I'm guessing just about everyone here this morning has been hurt sometime. Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it was a lifetime ago. And it's hard to forget. You didn't deserve the hurt. But it went deep. Deep enough to be tattooed on your memory. 
and it keeps hurting. And if you've lived long enough, and if you haven't lived long enough, just wait. Chances are you'll be hurt by someone you counted on to be your friend. And if you're like me, you may have let that hurt irritate and grow inside of you to the extent that it has just robbed you of all your joy. It sucked the life out of you. And when that happens, you've entered the first stage of forgiving, feeling the hurt. You may think that rather obvious as well, but some of us deny the pain that we really feel. It hurts too much to acknowledge. Sometimes it scares us. People betrayed and brutalized by their parents are often afraid to admit the pain because they fear they may hate the people that they most dearly want to love. And so they use a thousand devices to deny their pain. It may be a bit of an oversimplification, but in its essence, the miracle of healing happens when one person feels the pain and forgives the person who opened the wound. Sometimes the job of forgiveness is harder than others. The toughest times of forgiveness must come when we feel like we've been hurt unfairly. There is a difference between suffering and suffering painful wrongs. And so here's a few unfair hurts that cut deep enough to throw us into the crisis of forgiving. Maybe you can identify with one or more of them. Here's the first unfair hurt. Disloyalty. A baby counts on her mother to be there and she isn't. A wife counts on her husband to be there and he isn't. A friend counts on a friend. Whenever we extend trust to another and that trust is violated, we can't go on with business as usual until that hurt is healed. Unfair hurt number two. Betrayal. Turn the screws a little tighter and disloyalty becomes betrayal. My partner is disloyal to me when he treats me as a stranger, but he betrays me when he treats me as an enemy. Both happened to Jesus. Peter was disloyal to Jesus when he admitted that he didn't even know who he was. Judas betrayed Jesus when he sold him to the enemy for 30 pieces of silver. We betray people whenever we sell them out for a price, and that price may be fame, fortune, revenge, career advancement. Regardless of the reason, feeling the stab of betrayal puts us in the midst of the forgiveness crisis. And while it's never easy, I think there is a kind of betrayal that may be worse than any other. And it comes when you experience it in a place that you thought was safe. It's when you're betrayed by another in the church. Most churches either don't want to talk about this or they want to live in denial. But the truth is, anyone who has been in leadership for any time in any church for very long has been betrayed or has felt betrayed. And the flip side of this, it's even uglier. I'm sure over the years, there have been those who would say, I've been the betrayer. I'm the one standing in need of another's forgiveness. And so when betrayal happens, what all too easily follows is an infection of the spirit characterized by mistrust, cynicism, 
paranoia, and do I have to tell you, those characteristics rob us of life. I'm not talking about some kind of religious adherence today. I'm talking about your ability to experience life. That's how vital this is. Unfair hurt number three, brutality. It used to be a rarity that we personally knew people who were victims of crime. Not so anymore. I've lived the better part of 30 years in major urban areas, and I've personally experienced my home broken into, my church office broken into. I've been robbed by a gang of baseball bat and chain-wielding teens. Only the love of Christ kept me from launching into my kung fu routine and dismembering each one of them systematically while the others watched. Actually, it wasn't the love of Christ. It was the fact I just had Achilles tendon surgery and I was hobbling around like an old man. And I tripped putting Reese in front of me as they were. (laughs) I've seen a man held up at knife point as he was exiting church one Sunday morning. How's that for Christian fellowship? And yet I consider myself fortunate compared to others I've known. Senseless acts of violence. Violence are a part of our everyday existence. The Boston Marathon bombing. Innocent children getting hit by stray bullets in a gang fight in Chicago. Women in Cleveland being chained inside a house for a decade. Chemical weapons killing civilians. And the list goes on and on. And yet there are other brutalities that never blacken eyes or break bones. Psychological abuse brutalizes as well. Children who are told they're worth their... Uh, worse than worthless, spouses who are regularly and spitefully demeaned, especially in front of others, all are brutalized. We're brutal when we reduce another person to less than human. It may be a violent rape. It may be a degrading insult. Most of us have been put into the crisis of forgiveness and are called upon to feel and admit the hurt, because we're all in this together. Reason number two that I think forgiveness really is at the heart of the matter is because lack of forgiveness creates the need for more forgiveness. Unforgiveness can lead to hate, and hate is a sign that something is dangerously wrong and needs to be healed inside our soul. It doesn't affect us so much when we hate a person who never promised to be with us, who never walked with us on our private paths. But when a person destroys what commitment and intimacy has created, something very precious inside of us is destroyed. Hate for people we love? Well, that just makes us sick. Sometimes hate nibbles at the edges of our heart. Sometimes it burns out the lining of our soul. Sometimes it only asks that the hated person just stay away from us. But whether that hate for you is a carcinoma growing inside your soul or just a pesky heartburn, it will hurt us if we don't choose the right remedy. And the right remedy involves somewhere down the line forgiving in the spirit of the great forgiver. That's the only way we get it. Ignored unforgiveness can drive us to do things that we wouldn't normally do. In a paradoxical, kind of ironical way, unforgiveness can cause us to perpetuate those things that we are not forgiving in others. 
generational sins. And so it can be passed down from one generation to the other because it never gets dealt with within, inside of one generation. And so to break that cycle, we have to accept some biblical principles. We have to adjust our eyesight to see the world with a biblical worldview, which just means accepting what the Bible says about our condition, accepting what it says about our reality. We'll have to come to grips with that. We'll have to make peace with that. We may not like these principles, but to be healed, we'll have to accept them. And the first one I would suggest to you is that life is a series of trust ventures. We have to be willing to trust other people. And that means we have to risk being wronged again. Even though the person wrongs you repeatedly, seven times in the day, Jesus says, Matthew chapter 18. That's every hour on the hour. And for those who keep score, multiply that even more. And yet, after the hurt comes the insightful revelation. Life is a series of trust ventures. Trust risked. Trust rewarded. New trust ventured. New risks taken. The good news of the gospel is that forgiveness is possible. New trust New risks can grow again. That's possible for you. The Bible puts it this way. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of malicious behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just, watch this, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I know we touched on this when we did the Ephesians series a while back, but I thought it worthwhile just to focus in on this forgiveness component. Because in that one verse is the reason that we know forgiveness is possible. It's because of the forgiveness bestowed upon us by God through Christ. That's what makes it possible. And until we accept that, we'll stay in the crisis of forgiveness. When you forgive someone for hurting you, you actually perform spiritual surgery. You cut away the wrongs. So you can see your enemy through the kind of eyes that will enable your healing. It's a shift from devaluing the wrongdoer to valuing the person. Again, they were a person before they hurt you. And they're people after they hurt you. Which leads me to acceptance number two. Forgiveness, it's a journey of many steps. Each of which can be extremely difficult. All of which need to be taken carefully, thoughtfully, deep reflection. Rather than a single step, forgiveness is a whole flight of steps that confronts us. I like the way David Augsburger put it. He says, forgiveness is letting what was be gone. What will be, come. And what is now, be. It's a new vision. It's a new feeling we receive when we forgive. The Bible talks the same way when it describes how God forgives us. We have to first of all understand how God forgives us before we can forgive other people that way. In the ancient drama of atonement, God took a bundle of human sins off a man's back and tied it to a goat. It was a scapegoat. And he gave the scapegoat a kick in the rear and sent him off Sin and all, 
to a solitary land, leaving the sinner free of his burden. You can read about that in Leviticus chapter 16. Or as the poet of the Psalms put it, Psalm 103, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God does exactly what we need in our life. He changes his memory. What we once did, it's irrelevant for how he feels about who we are now. I've got one more acceptance for you, but I want to wrap it inside a little story. The survivor of the Nazi Holocaust tells the story of how she was liberated from a concentration camp a few days after the Allies conquered Germany. But it took her a lot longer to be liberated from her simmering hatred of her unjust wrong. Courageously, she set out on a forgiving journey and kept traveling around until she arrived at the place where she even forgave the Nazis who had dehumanized her in the camps. But in Munich one Sunday, she was teaching about forgiveness. And she was talking to all those German people who were so eager to be forgiven. And outside, after the service was over, a major drama of the human spirit unfolded. A man walked over to her, reached out his hand for her to take. Fraulein, I'm so glad that Jesus forgives all our sins, just as you say. And at that moment, she realized that she knew him. She remembered how she was forced to take showers with other women prisoners while leering guards watched. And she remembered this man's face as one of those guards. He put his hand close to her. And her own hand was frozen at her side. She could not forgive. She was stunned. She was terrified by her own weakness. She who had been so sure that she had overcome the deep hurt and the desperate hate. What could she do now about a man she could not forgive? She did what is probably a good idea for all of us to do when we don't know what to do next. She prayed. She prayed, Jesus... I can't forgive this man. Please forgive me. And at once in some wonderful way that she wasn't prepared for, she felt forgiven. Which brings me to acceptance number three. Accept forgiveness for not forgiving. Sometimes, that's all we can do. At that moment, her hand went up. She took the hand of her enemy. She released him. In her heart, she freed him from his terrible past. And she freed herself up from her terrible past. For most of us amateurs in the forgiving business, it'll be love's toughest work. And in the midst of a forgiveness crisis, we'll do well to remember the heart of the gospel, the heart of the good news. It's that God wants to wipe the slate clean. He wants you to start fresh. 
He wants you to experience forgiveness. And if you haven't accepted His forgiveness, if you haven't experienced His forgiveness, you can do that. You can do that today. You can just tell Him, I've done terrible things in my past. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. But I'll accept it. And once you do, your next job is to take the forgiveness you've experienced and extend it to someone else in your life. To forgive them the way God forgave you. I like the way that sounds. Really hard to do. That means I'm going to extend forgiveness to someone this week that doesn't deserve it and can't earn it. But I can bestow it nonetheless. The topic of forgiveness is so important that we take time out of every service here at Westridge to be reminded and to reflect upon the means of our forgiveness, the agency of our forgiveness, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to do that again this morning. And as we do, you might want to think about your experience of being forgiven and your privilege to extend that forgiveness to someone in the same way in which you experienced it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is a privilege to be reminded, to reflect upon, to recommit, to what you have done for us, the gift of eternal life, wiping the slate clean, giving us hope for the future. This week, help us be that for someone who crosses our path. In Jesus' name, amen.